Hello, this is Casey Powell. I'm president of Thompson Associates, and uh, welcome to uh, podcast. When uh, today I have with me uh, Jason Meredith. Jason is the lead planning attorney for Thompson and Associates. Known Jason forever. Uh, he has actually been with Thompson and Associates since 2004, and he graduated from Texas Tech University with a law degree and an MBA, and uh, just one of the, he, he practices out of Flower Mound, Texas, and uh, just one of the top state planning attorneys really in the nation. He, he works with hundreds and thousands of estates annually and sees a lot of different things, and we are thrilled uh, to have him join us on this podcast, and, and uh, just a great asset for Thompson Associates. So Jason, welcome. Thank you, Casey. Appreciate being here today. We are going to start a new series, uh, and this is the first podcast of a hopefully quite a few podcasts, where we are going to be talking about top estate planning mistakes and red flags. And this is something that uh, Jason actually has, has started, uh, he, he, something that he has done a lot, a uh, presentation that he's done, and he's got a really good list and, and so I thought it'd be a good idea to just ask him about those and uh, take one at a time and really go into detail. Uh, these are some great uh, tidbits and great uh, planning tips for anyone that works with people, anyone that helps people plan their estates, attorneys, uh, gift planners, and anything like that. And so uh, we, I'm thrilled that uh, Jason has agreed to go through these, and today we're going to talk about um, the outright distribution and uh, why that is a, a mistake and uh, what what can be done about it. So, uh, so Jason, I'm going to just ask you about that. Why, why, you know, what is a mistake? What, what could an outright distribution, why could that be a mistake? Well, Casey, yeah, it's, a, it's a great question. It is one of my favorite estate planning topics to talk about uh, because it is probably, I think, the most, uh, the most common mistake that I, see, that I see every day in my practice. Um, not only is it the most common mistake, I would say it is, it is one thing that if it, could have the, it probably has the, the greatest impact or potential impact on a client's heirs, family, beneficiaries, this mistake could be could be huge. It could be a huge mistake. So, if you look at uh, when we when I in my own private practice and my and in my practice in working with Thompson Associates, we review estate planning documents that clients have prepared uh, every day. This is you know it's it's very very common. We sit down with someone who says I already have a will. I've got my will done. Uh, maybe they went to LegalZoom.com, or maybe they did their own will. Maybe they went to an attorney. But either way, they have planning documents in place. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess to say that that 95 percent or more of the estate plans that I read say are structured something like this: um, Mom or Dad pass away, and when they pass away, assets pass to their children or other beneficiaries, they pass it to them in a way that we call the outright distribution. Sometimes you'll hear it called uh, fee simple 
or fee simple absolute. But the point is, it's going directly to the individual. Okay, um, and you might say to yourself, "Well, what's wrong with that? I mean, who? What else would we want to do?" And the idea here is, if you have two options, you can leave assets directly to a child, for example, or you can leave things, these same assets, in trust for the benefit of the child. And if you have two different options, what would you do? Well, it's very common to leave assets in trust for maybe a minor child, uh, maybe a, a child who's uh, a young adult, 18, 19, 20, maybe, maybe uh, not making wise uh, mature decisions with money that's very common planning you'll see attorneys put in place sometimes we'll we'll leave assets to a, a, a beneficiary who might have a disability we might want to leave things in trust for that individual so you see a lot of attorneys who are who are doing trust planning in situations minor child young adult beneficiary with a disability but what if our what if our child or our, in this situation isn't a minor maybe they're an adult Maybe they're great with money. Maybe they're great. You know, we don't have any issues. We're not worried about them being a spendthrift. Maybe they don't have a disability. The question becomes, should we still do trust planning for that child? And in my opinion, the answer is yes. So take the, take the two examples. Let's, let's break it down. Example one, what if we leave assets directly to an adult child who is not a spendthrift and can manage that money? Well, as soon as that child, that adult child, inherits those assets, those assets become exposed to things like divorcing spouses, lawsuits, creditors, and judgments. What I mean is if that, if that child were to someday get a divorce, depending on the state and the state law where they live, they could lose those assets in a divorce. What if that child was driving down the street one day and got into a car wreck and, and it was their fault and someone sued them, right? They, get, they could lose those assets in a lawsuit. Uh, what if that child is in a high liability profession and someone sues them for malpractice? What if that child is a business owner and a liability arises in the business and someone gets through the business and sues the child? We live in such a litigious society that it's important to recognize that when we leave assets to an individual outright in fee simple in their own name, those assets are now exposed to other people and other liabilities. We have another option. We can leave assets to that child or for that child's benefit in the form of a trust. So leave things in trust. You can even let the child be their own trustee. Okay, so now we have a situation where um, mom and dad leave things to their son uh, in trust. Uh, the son is the trustee of a trust for his own benefit. If that's the case, if we set that scenario up, the son, as trustee of his own trust, can use those assets for in he can invest that money any way he wants to, spend it any way he wants to, manage it any way he wants to. But now, if he ever gets a divorce, those assets are not marital property. They're outside of the reach of, an, of a divorcing spouse. If that child gets sued in a lawsuit, a judgment, a creditor, there is increased asset protection. 
and depending on the type of lawsuit and, and the state law, it might be completely 100% protected. Um, whereas if we leave it directly to the child, it's completely unprotected. We know that. Yeah. So there is a way, there's a better way to plan. Okay, so, I mean, you, you're, it, it, from everything you're saying, it sounds like a no-brainer. I mean, you know, it's almost like why would you not, you know, create a trust for anyone that's going to receive assets from your estate. So, so maybe, you know, are there any drawbacks to it? It, it almost is a no-brainer. Um, the one drawback is when you create a trust like that, going forward, that trust will have to file a tax return every year. So you've created a, a little bit more work for the child, the, the, the one inheriting the assets, they will have to file an additional tax return to report income from that trust. Um, now, we get into a little bit of, of, of scenario here where tax rates can vary a little bit between a trust and an individual person. And generally speaking, trust, trusts will pay uh, a higher income tax, they're in a higher income tax bracket, or they reach a higher income tax bracket a lot quicker uh, and a lot sooner than an individual. Um, but that's, that's really not a huge concern because there are ways to manage that liability and there are ways to actually uh, cause that income that's in the trust to be taxed to the beneficiary at his, at his or her individual rate. So the tax income tax issue is not a concern. It just will generate an additional tax return every year. Um, my personal thoughts are and you gain so much protection and the cost of gaining that protection is filing an extra return every year. Um, uh, and, and to me, that's not, that's not a huge cost given what you're actually gaining out of it. Well, so, so you, you mentioned the cost. So, you know, there, there is a cost. Uh, I guess there's a cost of, I guess it's probably an additional cost that's, that's more if you get this type of planning set up. Because I'm assuming it would be done in your will or if you got a revocable living trust. Uh, there may be a, a higher cost there, and the, then you're also talking about maybe an additional cost of the uh, of tax returns. So, what you know, do you look at a you know, size of a state, uh, you know, size of the inheritance that, that's going to to an individual or a beneficiary? I mean, is there any threshold there that, that you look at to where it doesn't maybe it doesn't make sense if it's below a certain dollar, you know, amount? Does that make sense? It does, and it's a really good question. Um, it is. There's not a black and white rule where you would say uh, if mom and dad's net worth is X number of dollars, then we use a trust, and if it's below a number, we don't. But generally speaking, we do try to look at that. So uh, to give you an example, um, let's say mom and dad were going to leave their adult son um, $100,000. That was their net worth, and that's all the son's going to get is 100000 Now the question becomes, are mom and dad willing and able to spend an extra $500 to, to prepare their estate plan to protect the $100,000 they're going to leave their son? Is that a good investment with mom, for mom and dad? Do mom and dad say, hey, if I pay the attorney an extra 500 we can protect the $100,000 for our son. 
Now, some clients might say, absolutely, that's a great, that's a great use of my money. Another client might say, nah, not so concerned about that. I don't want to spend the extra 500. Right. So I definitely think that uh, it's a personal decision. I think obviously that the, the higher the net worth uh, of mom and dad or the larger amount of money you're leaving to the, to the beneficiary, uh, the larger, larger that number is, the more, the more sense the, the protection makes. Um, you know, who knows, that, that same couple might spend $500 to protect 50000 They might even spend $500 to protect 40000 right. So I think it's really a personal decision in, in for the client to, to assess what are they paying to get the plan set up, and do they consider that a justified expense. Yeah, and, and I see the, the, you know, as far as you – you, it's a case by case. I mean, you look each. You have to look at each beneficiary. I mean, mom and dad would have to look and and say, you know, if they have multiple children, you know, maybe one. You know, this is not really a case of hey, if I if I leave everything outright to, you know, little Billy, he's going to spend it all immediately. But if I leave it to Sally, she's good with it. So, you know, it's not really. You know, we're 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 not even really talking about the spendthrift provisions, even though that could be incorporated into this. This is about Absolutely. asset protection, I think it sounds like, and so so it's not, you know, it, it's it's you know by by creating this trust, you're not, you know, signaling anything to your your uh, your beneficiaries, your heirs, saying, hey, we don't trust you or anything like that. This is, hey, we're doing this because we love you, and this is a protection for you, and it, it's, you don't have a target on your back when you do get this inheritance. So that's exactly that's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right, you know, and and so like you said, you might have you might have uh, one client who has a child, and they say, well, they're in a great marriage. We're not worried about it. We're not worried about lawsuits or and anything. We don't need to spend that. And you have another client whose daughter's already been through three divorces already, and is getting ready to get married for the fourth time, and they're thinking. Well, we we don't have a lot of confidence that that this marriage might last. We want to make sure it's protected. So every yeah. client will be different in this regard. Yeah. Okay. Well, one other question. Um, so you know, we're talking about creating this in the will or revocable living trust. You know, what about you know a lot of people have life insurance and, and maybe retirement accounts. So are those assets are those applicable to this as well? Do they you know, how how would someone uh, make those assets? Is it appropriate? And if so, how would they put those in those tr that trust as well? Uh, it's a it's a really good question. Um, you know, first of all, you're correct. When we do when we prepare uh, a trust for a beneficiary, that trust will be built inside of either a last will and testament, a revocable trust. It's going to be drafted in type in, in some type of document. But as you've identified, we, most clients that, that we work with, almost everybody out there, has assets that will not be controlled by their will or their trust. And you identify two of them, life insurance, retirement accounts. And retirement accounts are things like IRAs, Roth IRAs, 401ks. These are all types of, of, of accounts that are controlled by a beneficiary designation. So when the client passes away, or the owner of the account passes away, for example, the insurance company doesn't care if that client has a will, and they don't care what the will says even if the client has one. 
because the insurance company pays the money to the person named on that form. Same thing with an IRA custodian, same thing with a 401k administrator, they pay the money to the people named on those forms. And so we have to figure out a way to get those assets that are controlled by beneficiaries, have them flow through the estate plan so that those accounts and those life insurance and the retirement accounts and those things drop into the trust that we've prepared for the client's children. We gotta find a way to connect those together. And it is possible, it is, it can be done. The best advice I can give I can give is for an individual to really seek legal advice on how to make it happen. This is not something we want a client doing on their own. This is not a do-it-yourself project. Uh, there's lots of traps, lots of places that to, to really mess this up, but it, it can be done. It can be done relatively easily as long as we get the right advice. There's, um, especially with retirement accounts, there's a lot of technical things that go on there. We wanna make sure that our beneficiaries have the abilities to stretch out IRAs, defer income taxes as long as they can, right? But we still want those assets into protected trust. And so we gotta have, we have, the way we do this is we add special language to these trusts to make it work. But uh, the short answer to your question, it can be accomplished, but seek good, good counsel to get it done. Yeah, so, so using beneficiary designations, but, but, but needing to coordinate that with, with the will, wherever it's created, in last will and testament, or revocable living trust. That is correct. Okay, and we're, we're, and we're going to talk about that specific thing uh, in, a, in actually the next podcast, uh, talking about non-probate assets that are not coordinated with the estate plan and, and some of the, the mistakes there and, and how to correct those. So, so we'll get in a lot more detail there, but, but just knowing that, that it can be done and it needs to be done, and, and as you, you point out, it really needs to, you, you really make sure you've got good counsel to get that done correctly. Okay, so, so last question, Jason. So um, say someone wants to do this, what do they call it? Hey, you know, if, they're, if they're going to their, their attorney and say, hey, I want to get this type of trust done, is there a name for it? You know, how do they explain it to, to their, their attorneys and what, what do they say? That's a, that's a good question. There's, there's not technically a name for it. Um, I think that the, the best thing to ask for when you go to your attorney uh, is to say, you know, I've heard that when we leave assets to our children, we can leave assets to them in the form of a trust to give them extra protections, asset protection and divorce protection. How do we do that? How can, we, how, how, how can you help me put that together? And a, a good estate planning attorney can, can accomplish this. Um, I will say, though, that uh, if you go to an attorney that's really kind of more of a jack-of-all-trades, really does the general practitioner, they, they may not be comfortable doing this kind of planning just because it's not something that they do. Um, and so uh, I've experienced this a lot. I've experienced this. I've had many conversations with attorneys who will, will ask me, why are you doing this? Why, why, we do, why do this? And of course, I go over everything we just covered in this podcast and they'll say, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Well, how do you do that? Yeah. And I'll say, well, we do it this way. So, you know, you, you need to, if you get a little, a little bit of initial pushback from the attorney, 
saying, oh, you don't need to do that. Oh, that's not that important. It might be just because they don't really know why you need to do it or how to do it. So I, I would, if you're getting some pushback, you might really consider getting a second opinion from another attorney who's a little more experienced in estate planning um, before making your final decision. Okay. Great, great. Well, thanks for this time, Jason. I think it's been very informative. And you know, just, just uh, for anyone listening, if you have any questions about this, feel free to reach out to, to either Jason or myself and uh, we're here to help and um, I and good good information look forward to, to more conversations about more mistakes and red flags so. thanks Casey thanks